Welcome to the East Main Media Podcast, a series of conversations featuring leaders in a variety of subjects, including business, politics, media, and the arts. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com forward slash podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. Now here's your host, Brian Brodeur. Hi, this is Brian Brodeur, and welcome to part two of my conversation with producer-composer Michael Tioli. In our last episode, Michael and I were talking about his background as a musician and his work composing for film and theater. So let's pick up that conversation right now. You're list of projects is really long and I have a couple that I want to point out and get your input on. One of them is Nishima. If I'm correct, that's a 2012 score and as of now that hasn't been placed with the distributor so it hasn't seen the light of day beyond festivals and screenings. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I don't even think, I mean it's done screenings for sure. I don't know if it's done festivals uh it's so interesting because you know i work primarily you know on independent films and pretty much no one has distribution when they start they're writing these films and they're getting them produced and as a composer like you never know what's gonna go and what's not so you just you get hired to do the gig and you do the gig and you put your all into it and you know treat it as if it was winning the next best picture but really, it's it's totally out of your control. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of shorts. I've done, you know, features. And you just never know what's going to happen to them. And, and really, it's it's not even something you think about. It's not it's not like, oh, I wonder where this is going to go. You just, like, do the job. And it's really years later that you're like, oh, I haven't seen that out. That's, you know, that's unfortunate. But Nishima was so much fun. That's that's actually, it's, it's funny you picked that one to talk about because um, that's my favorite score that I've written like music wise just what I'm most proud of because uh, despite being an independent film and you know you can probably hear how strange this is this is a low budget indie epic fantasy film so it's like how does one do that you know because to do something that looks like a fantasy those are like the biggest budgets out there so you know to try to do that uh it's really ambitious you know and they did a really good job i think they um way overachieved and actually that particular film i think they're i don't know one of the reasons it took so long uh to complete was i think they had like hundreds of CGI shots. It took a really long time doing all the effects and everything because I think when you're trying to really get great professionals on your indie projects, one of the things that has to give when you don't have top of the line money is time, you know? So sometimes you could get someone who's you know, really top of the line, but, uh, you know, if you can't pay their full thing, sometimes you give them a little bit more time and you can work with them. So I don't know if that's what happened for that one, but anyway, I'm sorry, back to the actual score for that. One of the things that was just really fun was cause you can imagine like when you're working in a world, that's this fantasy kind of world, kind of like Lord of the Rings, there's just so much music required and so much and it but it's so open you know there there's so much you can do where 
you know, there were these epic battles. There were all these different things, and it really let your imagination run wild. And one of the things I love about Nishima is that the world, you know, it's not a real world. It didn't exist, so we wanted to make it feel like it was a blend of all different kinds of music. You know, so, like, instrumentation-wise, we had kind of an East meets West where it was orchestral, but it had a lot of Eastern influences we actually recorded live sitar and live tabla for that but we used like flutes from all over the world we used like eastern indian flutes but we also used like native american flutes and there was a big african percussion influence on on that one so it was really fun to not have any boundaries instrumentation wise you know there's even i think some guitars in that for sure and you know it's just it was really fun and and i got to bring in a lot of live players for that which is really fun i had some choir on that which is really fun in your process of scoring when you approach a film like nishima where it's an epic fantasy do you start with a palette of instruments or do you compose a different way? What's your process in a film like that? I think really a scene kind of almost speaks for itself where, you know, when I start working on a film, not just a fantasy, but really any film, I always start with the second cue. I work chronologically, generally, and I start with the second cue. I always leave, you know, what's often the main title, you know, really the big kind of opening number to last because when you start, you don't have anything, right? You're just, you're, you're just approaching this new material. And I really let this scene kind of speak to me and really just do what's best for that scene. And as you move on, you kind of, you know, it's clear to me what is appropriate, you know, just instrumentation wise. And as you go through the film, you're constantly building more and more themes. And by the end, you have this whole film of themes. And that's why I saved the first cue to score last, because then I go back to it with a loaded palette of themes. And then you could really sprinkle all the themes there or as much as is appropriate you know, you, you want to have that kind of arsenal of, of themes that you can put in early. So that way, when they hear them later, it's subliminally, there's some recognition there. But really, instrumentation wise, I just kind of follow where it wants to go. I just what kind of inspires me in the moment. And uh, but you're never locked down to it. It's funny because you work with a template of sound sometimes. And I never go back to the original template because you're always adding more and more that it's it's almost like you have to use the previous cue as a template because then you'll be missing so much more if you go back to what you set up to be your original template. Can you uh, elaborate on the technology you're using? So when you're coming up with these themes, are you composing these with virtual instruments? So if you're hearing a string passage in your head, you're actually composing it with a controller and a string patch or how does that process work for you musically? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, a lot of, especially in independent film where you don't necessarily have the budgets to record with full orchestras. You do a lot of hybrid scores. I do a lot of hybrid scores where you're using a lot of virtual instruments and I have thousands and thousands of different samples and virtual instruments that sound it's, it's amazing how good virtual instruments sound now. Like you, you really you would never know, you know, if you a bead stuff, then it's like, okay. But like, uh, it just, everything sounds 
so good now. Um, so, you know, I will play with those instruments and really get it the way I want it. And, um, you know, some instruments and not just instruments, but some styles of instruments, the samples aren't as good. The virtual instruments aren't as good as others. So that's why, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for live musicians. So I'm always trying to get as much as I can to bring in live musicians, but I'm also honest, you know, with the directors and the producers about what it needs, you know, cause, cause a lot of times budget is, you know, really important on independent film and you can't just go out and have everyone live. But there's certain times where, uh, like I did a film called Big Mistake and Big Mistake had uh, one of the main instruments is it really needed like a film noir solo trumpet, right? And and solo instruments are really tough, I think, for virtual instruments. It's the same thing with solo violin. Like I could do this epic string piece for you that I could produce all from my home studio and it's going to sound awesome. Right. But if you want like a country style solo violin, you can't do that. That's going to sound like crap. So that's when you're, you have to be honest and say like, if you want this sound, if you want this solo trumpet, or if you want this, you know, solo violin, we're going to have to get a live player in here. Or, you know, as the case may be now, I, I just send the files and they do it in their studio and send it back to me to mix, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, on Nishima, actually, we used all live woodwinds. I wrote for flute, bass flute, daduk, bass daduk. And then uh, my woodwind player is a guy named Sandro Friedrich, and he actually lives in Switzerland. Uh, and he has over 200 types of flutes. So I wrote for, you know, those ones I mentioned, and then I wrote for, you know, I, I put, quote, ethnic flute. And, you know, I did a sample with the samples that I had, kind of how I wanted it to sound. But I said to him, I'm like, you're the expert. Wherever it says ethnic flute, you know, you choose what you think is going to sound best there. You know, and I, I send him the sheet music. I send him the track. I send him the demo that he can, like, listen to how I've mocked it up. But again, like flute is one of those things. Some flutes I have that actually sound really good, but others, you know, like the duck, you really need to go do that stuff live. And, you know, so he, he ended up using all this different stuff, a Fujara and Ocarina and Pavina and Bonzuri. And wow. I don't even know if I'm saying all those right, but they're sprinkled in all over and it's, you know, it's everything that I wrote. It's just, you know, but he's going to tell you this flute over that flute much better than I am. And I really, for anything that you're doing, I always like to trust the people you work with and, you know, work with great people and let them do your thing. Even in music, you know, there can be micromanaging you know you always want to avoid that and really you know trust people to do their thing let them be who they are and in the end it's going to sound best for you you know something that caught my attention earlier in our conversation was this idea of working from a locked cut and you know certainly back in the day it was a luxury to have a locked cut and composers were composing really quickly and you know really with kind of like rough edits and Obviously, digital production has helped that. And so I'm, I'm fascinated about not just the process of what you do, but the timeline. Do you find that you're under a lot of pressure to work fast? How does that work in your world? Are you getting pressure from directors? Oh, man, we need all these cues done in a week. Or do you feel like you get to compose over a little bit longer of a time? How does that work for you? It varies so much project to project. I know I definitely don't have the uh, crazy 
pressure and deadlines that TV composers do. Television composers, it's kind of more formulaic where it's just like very deadline oriented where you like you get the cut this day you do the cues this day and you got to get it to them for the screening with the executives you know in independent film it's you know not so much like that it really varies project to project and you know i've definitely been under crazy deadlines before very often but other times you know not as much because i think people understand that they want to do it right you know so there's definitely pressure in that negotiating about time but i haven't been in too many situations where it was like completely unreasonable at least not for a while i've definitely when the first few films i did it was really crazy where i think i was up for like you know 50 hours straight at some point (laughs) but like that's that was quite a while ago you know like uh, it hasn't been like that quite as much we'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. The industry is starting to blend so much. You know, we have companies like Netflix and even the HBOs and the Showtimes that are doing these longer format serial projects like Twin Peaks with the longer form hour, hour plus uh, every week. You've done some work that's appeared on Amazon, the Drama Club and the Control Group. Now you, if I'm correct, you've performed different roles for those two pieces. Drama Club you scored, but the Control Club you were uh, producer of another composer's work. Is that correct? Yeah. The control group is a horror film where, um, I had heard about it and talked to the director about it. And he already had a composer cause he's actually Peter Hurd is right out of school, you know, like he was right out of film school and, and I totally respect this. Like he, he wanted to use the composer who was also in school who, um, you know, had done his student films and, uh, you know, so he wanted to use him, but he said, you know, he's never done a feature film before. And he's at the time, like he didn't have the equipment to really, create you know the music to produce the music he was writing like right into finale right onto the page you know like like that where we're normally a lot of the times for film you're going right into the production you're going right into your sequencer and just building the music you're not necessarily doing the notation unless you know it's going to be played by live players so i was hired to produce that score to kind of oversee and, and and help out a little bit but then also my role changed where i became the programmer as well so i literally like produce like everything was done at my studio he would send me the pages and i'd produce it here and we'd kind of go back and forth and it would get approved um, so that was really interesting and it, and it was fun. It's a very fun film. If you like horror movies, it's a pretty fun film. Uh, and I think that one is on Amazon Prime, I ah. think. So I think that one's free. And I think especially for his first film, for Peter's first film, I think they did a really great job. I mean, it doesn't look like someone's first film, I think. But uh, uh, but then the drama club, I was a composer on. You know, that one's just me. and And that was really fun. Joe McLean is the director on that. And I had worked with him 
twice on short films, and this is our first feature together. And it's about you know six friends who were in drama club twenty years ago, and now they're all uh, you know they made a pact to get back together uh, twenty years later, and um, it's really fun. It kind of shows how people have grown, but at the same time, they're all that. Uh, that was under the surface, all the, you know, kind of dirty laundry and love and friendship, you know, all that is still there. And uh, it deals with a lot of different topics, kind of the male, female double standards and politics and race relations. And, you know, it's it's a bunch of a lot of different things. But I, I think, uh, you know, if you're in your 30s, I think people will really love it. If you went to high school or in the 90s, you know, it's it's very nostalgic in certain ways and you know deals with the challenges that a lot of us face now where it's not a given that people have you know at 35 what their parents had at 20 it's it's a different world with different challenges and the film's really funny but also deals with these things too it's really really good actors with amazing chemistry and um the score was very challenging yet interesting and very fun to do because they tempt it with all iconic 90s music like iconic that you're just like really you want, I have to replace this song you know <laughs> and 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 it was really an interesting process because you had to towards the beginning of it you had to kind of find where your place was and what they wanted because a lot of times like if I'm hired to do a um like a commercial or a corporate video or just something where they've used temp music. And sometimes where it's more clear where we love this song, but we don't have the rights to this song and we want something that has a similar vibe, you know? So you're writing a new song, but it has, I call them vibe alikes. They're not so much sound alikes as vibe alikes where it's just like, you want to hit the same vibe and emotion that you do. And I thought they wanted that approach for this, you know? So there was a song where I kind of replaced it and I was really proud of myself because I, I like, it sounded like, you know, it was a completely different song, but just production wise, like really was close in vibe. And it's funny if, if anyone heard my piece, they would never, I don't think associate it with the original piece at all. Like it was just so different, but because the director was the one who tempted it, he said like, Oh, this reminds me of that other piece because it's like so close in vibe and I don't want that because now I want the other piece. And it was, so it was, it was kind of tough at first to get around it, but you know, we just kind of worked together and talk stuff out. And then, so I found things that were very appropriate, but also completely different, you know, which is just really fun to get there, you know, music, it's just such a unique thing where you can't just say, I want this, you know, you really have to work together to find out what it is that's in their heads. And a lot of times directors can't necessarily verbalize it musically, actually uh, not for this film, but film in general, I think the issue often might come when people try to talk music and put it into musical terms. And for me, uh, it's so much easier if you talk emotions, you know, what are we supposed to be feeling here? And when you talk emotions, like I'll translate it into music more so. And some directors are great at it because they know music really well. Others 
think they do. Joe really did. So he was really great to work with on the drama club. But it was just really, really fun to do that. It was very challenging. And, you know, one of the things is they tempt it with Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah, right? Sure. And that was kind of the elephant in the room that I was not looking forward to doing that scene because it's like, okay, just write one of these great songs. You know, like that's one that I just like totally put that song out of my mind where I was just like, I'm not going to listen to the song. I'm not going to view. Actually, most of them, when I get temp scores, I, I rarely even look at them. I try to get the, I try to like watch it once and then get it out of my mind completely and, and not use it as a reference because it influences too much. So this one, I didn't at all, but just there was that pressure of you have to write something that's going to have the emotional pull that that has like okay no pressure there right but that was like the one that just kind of first pass he was just like i love this and it was amazing i like couldn't believe it because i thought we were going to be on that one for like a month you know <laughs> just but, but it just yeah it flew right by so it's just funny how sometimes it just hits you right and goes on yeah i've got to open up the door about musicals there isn't always a lot of cross-pollination between let's say film and tv people and dedicated theater people they they seem to be different kind of camps at least in my experience but you have a lot of experience in both worlds i know that you have a 2008 rock opera that you wrote tanya and nancy now i'm assuming that is uh, nancy kerrigan and tanya harding could you tell me about the evolution of that project how you got that off the ground yeah, that, I mean, that was my first full-length musical that I worked on, and I've always wanted to do musicals. You know, I was a big musical fan, but I always wanted to do, like, rock musicals. Like, for me, I feel like rock in America is dying, if not already dead, like, in the charts, you know? It's just, it's not what it used to be, and I think theater can be a natural home for rock music to go due to its epic storytelling and coming from Berkeley, where a third of the school are guitar players, these, like, amazing virtuosic guitar players, and I love that, and I really wanted to make rock musicals that weren't just pop musicals. Most things that call themselves rock operas are really pop operas, and I really wanted to make things that are really like progressive, challenging, yet catchy rock music. So my first opportunity to do so was, yeah, Tanya and Nancy, the rock opera, where um, the librettist and the book writer, Elizabeth Searle, who is uh, from Massachusetts, we collaborated on that. And, you know, it was based on a half hour chamber opera that she wrote kind of earlier and um, she wanted to turn it into a rock opera and you know that's what that's what we did so it opened in Portland Oregon in 2008 it's had two stints in Boston uh, I played briefly in LA we did like a two-night fundraiser in LA but it played in Chicago last year and its highlight was we played the 2015 New York Musical Theater Festival uh, Nymph which was awesome because you could see the show it was in and off Broadway theater directed by David Alpert and you know had a bunch of wonderful actors in it like really Broadway actors you know uh, Tracy McDowell Jenna Lee Green Liz McCartney uh, Tony LePage you know so it was a really wonderful experience uh, to get to see it there and that was actually the first time where I wasn't acting as music director so right. that was kind of interesting <laughs> as well but uh Henry Aronson we were lucky enough to get him to music direct it he, he's done all kinds of stuff on Broadway Rock of Ages and Rent and and Rocky Horror when it was on Broadway and for me I, I've always had the fear that this show would be kind of 
Broadway eyes, you know, kind of to take the edge out because it is it's pretty edgy show music wise. There's very heavy moments, which I really like a lot because we're really trying to show even though it's a comedy, it's a dark comedy, but we're more than that. We're really trying to show the challenges of what these two went through. You know, they've kind of in certain ways, I think it's become kind of a joke. And but these are real people. These are two real human beings. And this really happened. And um, it's just really amazing. So we're, we're trying to show not just what happened, but why and how, you know, because it's really the first non-political scandal that just took the world by storm. Now it happens, you know, multiple times a day but at the time when tanya and nancy first happened you know it was a pretty unique and wild thing and so you know we have great respect for both women and uh, you know i'm so happy to see nancy's success on dancing with the stars and whatnot so um and you know we got to meet tanya harding she came opening night in portland and the whole thing has just been a great experience and yeah i hope it continues to play (laughs) Before we wrap up, I want to ask a question. I always want to try to dig into kind of advice for students, you know, and for people who are coming up in the business. And I want to ask this as a two-pronged question for you. One is general advice. If someone is in your shoes, if you're talking to the 2004 Michael, right, you know, what advice would you give that Berkeley graduate or that person coming up in the business? And part two of that is, how have you found your way through the business of doing what you do? Can you talk about both of those for me? Well, you know, it's definitely an independent film. It's something that you're constantly discovering. You know, I just say just be as proactive as possible and meet as many people as you can. And everyone, you know, we all get sick of hearing the term networking, but it's true and it's important you know, just to, to meet as many people as, as you can and really just go after films like do research and find out what are the types of things you want to work on and don't be intimidated by the people that you might be looking for a job from, you know, just really, really go after it and always be a student, you know, always be learning. The other thing though, is you want to really be true to your voice, you know, and that's why fusion so important to me because I listen to so many things, but I think what makes my work special is putting them all together and creating kind of my sound. That's not like anybody else. You know, I'm not trying to be, Depeche Mode. I'm not trying to be Fish. I'm not trying to be John Williams. I'm, I'm putting everything I listen to together. And then, yeah, on the business side, you definitely look at it like a job because that's what it is. You got to look at it like a nine to five job where you plan your schedule, you know, where I'm going to be doing research here. I'm going to be sending emails here. I'm going to approach it that way because that's the other thing too, is we're independent contractors, composers or independent contractors. And uh, that's the one thing I wish Berkeley kind of went into a little more about the whole like taxes and you know all all the health and healthcare all that kind of stuff so that's the thing too that you have to realize that you're never going to be an employee you know you're always going to be an independent contractor and you really have to plan your life around that because there's not going to be a schedule you know a lot of times so i'd say the biggest piece of advice is to look for work while you're working because what happens is you look for the gig you know you spend time getting the gig then you get the gig then you're working 
really hard on it, like around the clock at times. And then the gig's over. Now you got to look for your next gig and there can be some space there. And I think you have to be looking for that gig and sending out the emails. Look for your next gig while you're working. And that's really hard, but that's been where I think my biggest successes have have come. Because when I first moved to LA, it's like you do a job and then you'd be looking for a long time until you got your next job. And then as time went on and you worked more, those windows got smaller and smaller and smaller. But then once I started looking while I was working, then instead of, oh, we have two months off, it's like, oh, it's a week and a half off, you know, which is great, you know, decompress for a week and a half in two weeks and then jump into your next gig, you know. Well, speaking of your next gig, what's next for you? What's the future hold? I am about to start working on two at least two uh, new musicals. So that's kind of the very next thing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about that. I can't speak too much about them yet, but they're yeah. both different rock musicals that are about to go in development. And actually, there's another musical that I'm looking into that's not a rock musical that I think we're going to be starting soon that I'm excited about as well. But um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, there's not a lot I can talk about right now because we're in very <laughs> early stages on all three of those. And uh, you know, it's just, yeah, it's top secret. Yeah. <laughs> tell uh, yeah. Uh, tell me where people can find more information about you. Your website is michaeltioli.com. That's michaeltioli.com. How about social media? Yeah, social media. I'm on everything, you know, Michael Tioli Music on um, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, just Michael Tioli. Luckily, I have a somewhat unique name, so I, all those things were available. Um, you know, but uh, those are the main places, you know, cdbaby.com. And I have three albums on there. Uh, the score for the plays, Sirens of Titan, Absolutely Filthy, and then Nishima. Nice. I will conclude our conversation with the same question I ask most people, which is, would you answer the following thing for me? Phone rings, and you pick it up, you have a conversation, you hang it up, and the person on the other end of the phone just solved one of your biggest problems. Who was that person and what was the problem? I think the person is a producer or investor who has just commissioned me to write a new rock musical that they want to develop to go for Broadway. <laughs> um, so I, I, think, I think that's what that would be because that would automatically be a focus on one thing for quite a while. And I love the idea of commissioned work where it's just like, this is your focus, you know, and, and just to have it be like, all right, I'm not, I don't have to worry right now. And even though it sounds kind of like the opposite of what the advice I just gave, but like, you know, but, but you're not really worrying too much about in this time about what's next. It's just like you have full focus on this project to write something new, but to also have someone who has an interest in it enough that, you know, if they're paying you to do it and to do your work. So obviously, you know, you have that respect from them, but they care about it as much as you do because they're paying you to do it. So, you know, that you have that respect and that trust, but also it's not like you're just going to write this project and uh, now you have to figure out where's it going to go. You have someone who actually has a stake in like they want to make sure it goes on to that next place, you know, so I think that would be pretty great. Well, stay tuned. Broadway, here you come. Right. Rock and roll. (laughs) Well, thanks for taking time to talk. This has all been great, and it's been a blast. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening.